Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown's Match Day 22 recap podcast. I'm Matt Clark, your host, and I'm joined by Sam Leverage. We'll see this week if he compares any Alesco players to bereaved pets. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Matt. No bereaved pets this week, but this week has been just such a crazy week. The last four days I've been to three games and seen 15 goals, three of them in injury time. I mean, I'm exhausted from football, I think. Goodness, it's the international break. Well, good job you don't leave early, isn't it? We've got some uh, some fantastic games to recap. And we're going to start with the game of the weekend, the five-goal thriller at the Wanda Metropolitana, which you were at, Sam, as was Carla Fernandez Arinho. And uh, you two had a chat about that game. Carrasco Luis Suarez, gol de Correa! Gol, 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 I'm feeling on a massive high. It was, I think, the win that the team needed and I think the fans as well because, honestly, everyone, even at two, uh, nil, zero two down, we were all still singing. Something was going on in the in the crowd. I mean, there was people, literally, security was having to get involved, but I think it was something we needed to all come together and we saw that at the end of the match with um, the team coming to thank the fans and a lot of the players also thanked them for pushing them towards the victory. Yeah, I mean, how is the general reaction to that? Obviously, the first half was pretty poor from Atleti, but the second half was everything that Atleti haven't shown in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think the first half was literally what we've seen most of the season and why it hasn't been going very well. And the second half, I think, actually, my uncle said to me, he said, that is a Cholo Simeone team. And I think that's what the team hadn't been showing in in a long time. I think maybe the, the substitutions that came on also helped that feeling of rather than having to play extremely well, just having to go towards the victory and actually wanting it. I know like 
for of course thing is Jao Felix coming off for Felipe that's not a normal substitution no one in their right mind thinks that's going to help you win the match I mean everyone in the crowd was actually booing that that sub but I think Simeone knew what he was doing he knew what the team needed in that moment in as he said in a post-match interview he said that he knew that that the team could build from the back and with Felipe back there that we could go and get the match yeah, because those subs kind of really changed the game, didn't it? I mean, was it a question of Atleti being good and the subs working? Or was it also an element of, of Valencia fading a little bit as the game went on? Yeah, I think especially with the with Atleti's first goal, I think Valencia, you, you could feel that they were they got a little bit scared. They, they stopped proposing what they were in the first half. And I think they, even in themselves, they felt that maybe they would concede the, the second goal and then Yelme. He's he's not the greatest of goalkeepers in my opinion. Technically, he's he's um, he's a little bit worse than Thielsen. So I think that didn't help them with their confidence, especially. Yeah, and then with just one point, because I mean, we discussed the substitutions there and Felipe coming on for Jao Felix. I mean, what do you think is next for Jao Felix? Obviously, he came off, and then Atleti suddenly looked a much better team. I mean, does Jao Felix have a future at Atletico Madrid? I think it's a difficult one. He's he's only twenty one. I do understand that you have to have the patience, but it's almost been three years now as well that he's been here. How long can you wait for him to explode and give this version of himself that we saw at Benfica? Is he ever actually going to do that? Is he the player that Simeone actually wants to do that? Maybe a lot of us thought that he could be the next Griezmann, that he was going to turn him into this 100% like working player that was going to score, that was going to lead the team, but... Clearly, he's not doing that. I think he scored three goals in 2021. He's just not putting the team on his back like is expected. I understand he's he's young. He's cost 126 million euros, and that's not his fault. It's it's the market. It's football nowadays. But I honestly think it's just it's not going to work. I think Aladi probably need to sell him and buy maybe Vlahovic or just someone who Simone will believe in and actually change the the face of the team because I don't think Joao Felix is going to do that I think he's an amazing footballer but I don't think he's a good footballer for Atletico and then one other bit of controversy was that the the Frente Atletico which is a controversial right wing uh, ultra group that's singing the Fondo Sur at the Metropolitano in the 60th minute they stopped singing they all sat down and turned their backs to the pitch and they tweeted after the game which was deleted later on but they said that it was because of the lack of attitude the attitude being shown by the players for the last few weeks and so they wanted the players to be the ones to turn the game around what was the reaction in general in the stadium to to the Frente stopping the chanting and the singing well I'm I'm not sure where that came from to be honest because if you come it's second half uh, we're losing we're 2-0 down and they're all singing no problem and then they tell everyone to turn around and because people, obviously, they're paying for their season ticket to come and watch football, you can't tell people to turn around and not watch their team play, no matter if you if you want them to or not. So I think it was a little bit of a, we're here, we're going to do this, it's up to you now if you want to sing. And I think the rest of the stadium responded really well to this because they did sing. And I think it was the rest of the stadium who helped the team get the win rather than them. And then the tweet, which obviously they deleted, I think they know they were in the wrong. And... It was a bit of a silly situation, but I think they know that and it's just a question of moving on next match and just forgetting about it. 
Yeah, because I was in the the Fondo Sur as well. I know you're in there as well, and everyone else around seemed to be starting their own chants and things, and the rest of the atmosphere in the stadium was really good. So, I mean, is this a turning point? I mean, the scenes after the final whistle and in the celebration for that third goal, everybody very united. We've had lots of reports this week of players not getting on, but didn't look like that when they were all partying and dancing on the final whistle. I mean, can this be the game, the moment that changes Atletico's season? I really hope so, especially with um, we've got some important matches, especially Barcelona coming up. But then we could say uh, easier matches after that. I think if if we can, obviously top four is just the goal right now. You can't look any further than that. But I do think it should be a turning point just because that it was a game that the team needed to win. You come off a, a Coba knockout, you come off uh, losing I don't know how many matches in the last two months, three months. It's just something that the team really needs to to change the maybe the the outcome of the season, but obviously, as I said, the top four is just the priority right now. So you can't really look much further than that. Yeah. So fingers crossed for, for all the colchoneros out there. Thanks for joining us, Carla. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that, guys. And it wasn't the only comeback this weekend. Both of the top two in La Liga, Real Madrid and Sevilla were both 2-0 down at home, but neither side lost. So uh, just four points, still the gap at the top between Real Madrid and Sevilla. Sam, talk us through these matches. Which, which was the best point from 2-0 down and, and who, will be dis- who will be the more disappointed team? Well, I think the best point has to be for Sevilla. I mean, we talk about this, comparing the two. For me, Sevilla were the, the better point because Sevilla were missing so many key players from their team. I mean, loads of injuries, the African Cup of Nation, COVID, and then even injuries within the game. I mean, the, the new signing, Corona, had to go off in the first half. I mean, another big blow for, for Julian Lopetegui, who wasn't there himself because of COVID-19. So to go 2-0 down against Celta Vigo, who, who I'd say a much better team than Elche for Real Madrid, I think that makes Sevilla's result a much better result and and the manner of it as well. I mean, Sevilla got back into this game playing very, very well. Real Madrid, I would say, didn't play as well. I mean, they dominated the game. They were all over and they had plenty of chances, but they never looked as likely to get back into the game as, as Sevilla did, I think. Yeah, a word on Celta as well. Fantastic first half from them. Great goal from Yago Aspas once again. It did seem to fall apart for uh, for Celta a little bit when I do went off, and uh, that he's been a key player for them in recent weeks. And and as as well as Sevilla were improving, I think that his departure was a significant turning point in that game. Do you agree? Yeah, I think his departure was a big moment in that fixture because I think it just kind of unsettled Celta a little bit. They looked quite comfortable up to that point. I mean, Sevilla weren't throwing everything at them, but they were certainly testing Celta, and they looked quite quite confident they could see it out. Obviously, I do went off and kind of the uncertainty that came up from that made a few players get a little bit out of position and, and gave Sevilla that opportunity to kind of take advantage. And and in the end, they did. I mean, Iago Aspas's goal was very good and a very strange non-celebration, given that he was only there for a season. And I think it was four starts he had in La Liga that year. But yeah, I mean, I think Celta were good value for their point. And if I had been playing the whole 90 minutes, then maybe it would have been three. Yeah, perhaps the celebration or the non-celebration from Aspas was because Sevilla actually his favourite victims. Twelve goals he scored against them more than any other side in his career. 
Um, so yeah, as for Real Madrid, and a 2-2 draw, it was the first time Karen Benzema's ever missed a penalty for them. And uh, there were three or four shouts in this game. Uh, the first one given and missed. The second one given and then overturned by VAR. And then the third one given and scored by Luka Modric. Um, do you think the referee was, was on top of this game in, in, enough? Or was it just kind of a crazy one of those games where there were quite a few shouts? Yeah, and of course there was the other penalty shot for the handball from, from Verdu where it was kind of with his back to it. And I think in the end, all of the decisions were the right ones. I think some of them were a little bit soft. I mean, the first penalty, for example, I think we've seen them given, we've seen them not given as well. Um, but Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, I think you can expect most of those to go the way they did. And I don't think Elche can have really too many complaints after that, I think considering the result they were trying to see out, I was surprised that they were a bit clumsy perhaps in the in the box, but being bombarded by players like Vinicius and Hazard dribbling at you, I can can imagine that there is going to be the odd foul. True, true enough. But uh, still a great result for Elche, who've never won um, away at Real Madrid, but uh, they were so close this weekend, didn't quite do it, but still a valuable point for them in their fight against relegation. And they've really improved under Francisco, um, we'll talk about the bottom sides in part two. But uh, yeah, a decent point for Elche. Speaking of good results this weekend, Real Betis continued on their march, um, flying towards the Champions League. A 4-1 win away at Espanyol. Sam, you uh, you spoke with Rory on the, last, on the last pod about how their attacking play was you know, just so good to watch. Perhaps the best team to watch in Spain right now. Uh, Borja this week was, was in on the act. Uh, Juanmi... Sergio Canales, Fekir, they're all they're all in, in such good sync at the moment. Which uh, who stood out for you most in this this Friday night win? For me, I think maybe it's the obvious candidate. I'm going to say Borja Iglesias because I mean to go back to the club where he used to play. Obviously, he was getting quite a lot of stick from the Espanol fans as well. His departure there to go and join Ruby at Betis wasn't taken particularly well by some of those in in Catalonia. And so for him to kind of step up to the occasion and and especially for Betis, what really impressed me was the way that they went one goal down. And at that point, I was starting to think, oh, is this going to be one of those Betis games where they fall apart and they just never turn up? But no, they really bounced back and I thought they were fantastic. Again, the, the attacking play was just incredible. Guido Rodriguez obviously getting in on the score sheet as well. And he's not a player who scores too often, but I think that's just Betis at the moment, is that they're so confident and... There was no way he was going to let anybody else get to that ball first as it came into the box and he rose highest. And Borja Iglesias was just clinical with his finishing, I think. It kind of reflects the confidence that they've got at the moment and we've seen it against Alaves as well. He was on the score sheet, very impressive. And against Espanyol, even better. Yeah, they are, they are in real form at the moment, aren't they? And as for Espanyol, it's been a, a poor 2022 so far for them. Uh, knocked out of the cup and, and also just losing a couple of games in the league. There seems to be a little bit of discontent among the fan base whether Vicente Moreno is the right man to push them forward. Do you do you get that sense as well? Yeah, I think that question is starting to be asked. I think the win at Mestalla on New Year's Eve kind of bought him a bit more time because their away form has been terrible all season. I mean, Vicente Moreno, as a coach in La Liga, has a terrible record away from home. I think that win bought him a bit more time, but they just don't seem to be stringing things together. I think looking at their squad, they do have the players with enough quality. I mean, Adrian Barber is another player who has the quality to stand out in Primera, but he's just not been at the races at all for quite a while now. I think as an Espanol fan, it's quite right to be getting frustrated that 
that the coach or the team aren't getting the most out of Raul de Thomas, Javier Poal, Adrian Barber, because these are players who can get you goals. And I think another coach might be able to do a better job of that than Vicente Moreno. But then at the same time, I mean, who's on the market? Who could Espanyol convince to, to come and take on that challenge? I don't think 13th is a bad performance from them at all at this point in the season. But maybe results over the last few months don't quite match up to their start to the season. Hmm. Could be an interesting few weeks ahead for them. Well, speaking of promoted sides, we'll move on to Rio's game with Athletic. Of course, Rio flying high. Athletic coming off the back of beating Barca in the Copa del Rey. A tremendous performance from them. Missing Iker Munyain through COVID, but they became the first side to win at Vallecas this season. And they did so with another youngster, Nico Serrano, 18 years old. His first start in the league and he scored the winning goal. Um, so a bitter pill for ex-Athletic player Andoni Iraola to swallow. But um, yeah, Athletic, do you think they are on the right track to push forward in Europe or do you think the Copa will be a distraction? I think we'll see with that one. I mean, I think they will go all out against Real Madrid. I think Marcelino and kind of his record in the cup as well, that's going to be the only way that he knows how to do it. But I think that will be a challengeable one. If they, if they get past Real Madrid, then maybe they focus a bit more on the Copa than they would La Liga. But Real Madrid, so it's going to be a very tough task. And they are the one team who seems to make beating them look easy lately. And and this one against Rayo, I think Rayo were the better team and had plenty more chances. But Athletic ground out the result. And that's what Athletic have been really good at lately. I was surprised at how easy they fell away in the Supercopa final. But... I think maybe this Copa del Rey clash against Real Madrid will be a much tighter occasion than the Supercopa was. Yeah, the centre-backs in particular were superb for Athletic at Vallecas. Um, Inigo Martinez and Danny Vivian are a really solid partnership. In fact, Athletic have never lost when Danny Vivian has played. And they like playing green as well. Um, It it does suit them. So uh, we'll see how they do as the season continues to progress. They seem to be getting a bit of a head of steam. And they're in the mix for Europe as well, aren't they now? So um, we'll see where that goes. We'll leave it there for part one. Join us again after the break where we'll talk about the relegation battle and some more key clashes, as well as hearing from more contributors. Stay tuned. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. I'm here with Sam Leverage and we're now going to turn our attention to the bottom half of La Liga, the relegation battle and other bits besides. First off, the much improved Hitafe travel to San Sebastian to take on Real Sociedad and, uh, and Alex Brotherton watched the game and Sam spoke to him all about that one. Now we're going to take a look at Real Sociedad Hetafe, which wasn't the most entertaining of games all weekend, ending in a nil-nil draw, but an important result for both teams. Now I'm joined by Alex Brotherton from the La Liga Lowdown squad. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Hi, Sam. Uh, yeah, good, thanks. As you as you say, it wasn't, uh, can't say it was a classic match, but uh, yeah, it was got quite entertaining in the last 20 minutes there. So uh, it was a decent watch, but not really the, the result that either side would have wanted, but yeah. Um, a, a tightly fought contest uh, uh, up in San Sebastián, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of Real Sociedad? Because they haven't been in the best form of late. I mean, they started very brightly. There was talk of a title challenge and they haven't quite managed to keep that up since then. Yeah, it's been a, it has been a strange season. Um, obviously, they started with that, um, with, the, with that poor result against Barcelona on the opening day, but I think they, that was their only defeat in the first sort of 14 games and then yeah, it's been very up and down. They were they were quite hard to beat in the earlier part of the season, going to sort of the end of November, and then, as you say, things have kind of uh, not fallen apart, but definitely taken a turn for the worse. Um, they had that horrendous uh, that horrendous run of uh, four straight defeats, uh, sort of during December. They're really struggling to score goals, as I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute with this uh, match against Hetafe. But um, they've only scored 22 goals in 21 games this season. That's that's really not great, especially considering the the sort of talents that they have in the attacking uh, department of the squad. Um, and it's it's just it's it's just been a really frustrating season, I think, for for Real Sociedad fans. And obviously, uh, Imanol Alguafil, um, we, we saw when when uh, Larial won the won the Copper uh, last year that. He's the sort of he's he's just as passionate as any Real Sociedad fan, and I'm I'm sure he he won't be happy with exactly how uh, how things are going. But it's yeah, it's just a, it's they've never really got into the full sort of swing of things. It doesn't seem, and obviously they've they've had standout moments like um, like during the week when they knocked Atletico Madrid out of out of the Copa del Rey. But they're sort of not kicking on from these big moments and getting any sort sort of run of form, um, especially in in La Liga. So. It's not been a great season, I don't think, but they are still in fifth uh, place at the minute. And yeah, I mean, 
they probably would have, if you'd said to them at the beginning of the season, fifth place around sort of over the halfway mark, I, I think most Real Sociedad fans probably would have taken that, but they probably would have liked um, their team to be playing a bit more sort of exciting and free-flowing football, and it's just not really working out so far. Yeah, and I was going to say on that, I mean, what would you imagine Real Sociedad fans would kind of class as a good season? Because at the moment, they're fifth in La Liga. They're still in the Copa del Rey. They're still in the Europa League. I mean, what do you think their focus is going to be on? Because it's hard to imagine them competing on all three fronts. Yeah, I think, um, as I said, I think... I think ideally they'd probably the the sort of top thing they could sort of aim for is probably the top four. Um, I know last season particularly they were up and right up there in the title race for a bit, uh, and they they started this season not too too badly either. But um, I think as we've seen, they they are sort of lacking perhaps some of the pieces that the likes of Real Madrid and and Sevilla have uh, to really challenge for the title. Um, and as but as you say, they are still fifth, and I think. I think Real Sociedad are probably one of the sort of main um, benefactors of um, kind of how competitive that sort of just below the top of La Liga is this season because the fact that they've they have only won nine of their twenty-one games, but they're fifth in the table, two points off uh, Atletico Madrid in, in fourth. So it's it is very much possible that they will get in the Champions League places and. If they were to snatch that fourth place uh, from Atletico at some point, then I think Real Sociedad fans would be really happy with that. But as I said, they're not necessarily doing that by playing how they would like. Um, and it's their general game has been quite good, really. It's just it just seems to just be a, a sort of a, a lack of goals, a lack of clinical uh, finishing that has been costing them. Um, their overall game has been, apart from that run of, of defeats they had a, about a month ago. Their general game has been all right. It's just a bit of a bit of a drought in front of goal. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't think yeah, I mean, some talented players in there, haven't they? I mean, Alexander mm-hmm. Rizak, Alexander Solov, and Mikhail Rabal, and then Yanazai. I mean, they've got plenty of goal-scoring players. Haven't they? I mean, what do you think is is going wrong in attack for La Liga? It's uh, it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on. But I think if we if we just sort of hone in on the Hatafe game today, they had chances. Um, and particularly uh, Alexander Izak um, sort of came, made his return today and he came on uh, with about 25 minutes to go and I think it was the 91st minute he was uh, slid through on goal like one, with a wonderful through ball by um, David Silva and and he was bearing down on the goalkeeper uh, David Soria and he tried to sort of just pull off a clever little dink but he, kind of, he just got it wrong and it was it nearly ended up in the net because uh, I think it was Oliveira uh, managed to almost smash it into his own net and clearing it, but um, it was just that, just the lack of clinical finishing. I think uh, Soloff and Izak are both exceptional talents, and they're obviously both still still young, and they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll they'll improve as 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 time goes on. And just one quick word, obviously, Alex, you're a big Man City fan, so David Silva is kind of a, a hero for you. He's only finished a match and done the full 90 minutes once this season. I mean. What kind of a role is he having for Real Sociedad this season? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, he's he's definitely got a role to play, but I think as we're seeing, he's not. Uh, he's well, yeah, he's obviously past his best. That's that's obvious. He's uh, sort of approaching the kind of twilight of his career now, and he gave his his best years with Manchester City. But 
he definitely has a role to play, I think, in terms of probably on pitch and um, sort of leadership on the pitch and in the dressing room. Um, he's not that kind of loud, brash kind of uh, character, but he, he does have great leadership qualities. And um, and there's obviously with a young squad like Real Sociedad have, there's there's a lot that players like Isaac can learn from David Silva. Um, and then on the pitch, but he's still got a lot of quality. As I mentioned, uh, it, it was a really lovely pass to, to put Isaac through on goal and uh, the striker really should have scored. But it's just these little moments of, of, of genius that he's not pulling them off as often as he did at City. Yeah, and obviously age 36 now as well. So into his final days at the top level, but good to see him nonetheless. Thanks very much for joining us, Alex, and telling us all about Real Sociedad and hand back over to Matt now to analyse the rest of the action. Great stuff there from Alex and Sam. Uh, yeah, so La Real, another game without a goal at home. Um, they've only scored seven goals at home this season, which is the lowest in the league, which is, um, I guess, what he was kind of referring to there with that lacking of cutting edge. Uh, as for Hitafe, another impressive result for them. They, they drew, of course, the reverse fixture, which I believe you were at at the Coliseum, which was Michel's last game in charge. Um, it's safe to say the mood is very different now. Completely different. I think Adafi are really starting to kind of pull away from the bottom three, four teams and put some distance between themselves and the relegation zone, obviously, this weekend, starting with Oscar Rodriguez and Borja Mayoral kind of as the the front two, both new arrivals and, and getting off to a good start. I think Ike Sanchez Flores has really kind of stamped his mark on this team now and they look at least very difficult to beat. And when they can excel and stand out and play their own game, I think they're looking pretty threatening in attack as well. I mean, they've made Enes Ornel and Sandro against Granada midweek. They look like Pele and Maradona almost. So maybe they're, they're not quite that good, but Hetafe are certainly improving big time. And the one team I'll keep an eye on and see just quite how far they can go up the table before the end of the season. Obviously, Kike Sanchez-Flores would have them fifth if it was since he was appointed to the league table. So let's see where they end up this season. Next season as too, I think that might be a team to watch. Yeah, some, some improved performances from them. Similarly, the, the big game at the bottom was Saturday lunchtime at the Ciudad de Valencia between Levante and Cadiz. And it was the Amarillos who came away with a big three points. 2-0 victory for them. And uh, it, it does feel like it felt pretty final for Levante this defeat, didn't it? But, uh, but Cadiz with an important win for Sergio. Yeah, exactly. I think after the second goal with Ivan Alejo and kind of pushing and shoving from some of the Levante players. So Luis Morales very annoyed with, with Alejo, a few different players involved. I think that was kind of the frustration of knowing the importance of that result. Cadiz were were much improved, I thought. I think Sergio's really starting to to make an impact there and just bring the team together, be a bit more compact defensively. They'll certainly have, they have tougher tests than, they, than against Levante. But this was a big win for them and I think Sergio's starting to get the team playing a bit better and not the same impact as Kike Sanchez-Flores at Hatafe, but you can tell there's been that kind of impact with the change in routine and change in style and that it's working for them. Levante just haven't had that with any of their managerial changes. So it's always a gamble to get rid of your coach if you're in a relegation battle. And for Cadiz, maybe it looks like it's paying off. It's still early days. For Hatafe, it has paid off. For Levante, it just hasn't. Yeah, a really disappointing result for them and it leaves them adrift at the bottom. Um, 
Another team that are starting to look in trouble are Mallorca. Um, 3-0 defeat at La Ceramica against Villarreal. And this was a pretty lamentable game from them, and especially for Franco Russo. Uh, an own goal, conceded a penalty and was sent off. The, the holy trinity that you don't want. Um, yeah, they're starting to slide Mallorca. I think that's four defeats in a row now. And uh, they're just, well, they're only two points above the drop zone now. Um, there's a few rumours linking Luis Garcia Plaza with a move away. Do you think that's having a, an effect or do you just think, I mean, they haven't won a game since they won at the Wanda with that Takekubo winner. Um, so yeah, how, how do you assess where Mallorca are at the moment? I think Mallorca is a very difficult one because they're that team. There's always seems to be one of these teams in La Liga that is a team that is almost too good for Segunda but comes up into Primera and I think their squad just isn't good enough. I mean, you look at their starting eleven at the weekend, for example, and you say how many of these players are good enough to play for another La Liga team and comfortably be in the starting lineup. I mean, Take Kubo, maybe um, Rodrigo Bataglia, who's Alaves. I mean, that's another team that were in a relegation struggle last year. Pablo Mafeo, maybe Danny Rodriguez, maybe, but that's maybe three, four players at most. I think Luis Garcia is a is a great coach. He's done a great job at Mallorca, and the way they started the season was was above expectations. So I'm not surprised that they're fading away now, but I'm not sure that a changing coach is going to help them here. I think their squad just lacks the quality, and and if they are where they are now, which is just above the relegation zone at the end of the season, then they should be very, very, very happy with that, given the the talent they've got available. Mm. And they're through to the quarterfinals of the Copa as well, which um, which they'll also be targeting as well. So, yeah, still still some some, poss- some possible green shoots there, but. But yeah, this is the wrong time to be starting to, to lose matches in La Liga for sure. Speaking of a side which is still losing matches in La Liga, Alaves, they took on Barca in a Sunday night game. We'll be honest, this was dreadful. Um, I think everyone that watched it would agree. Frankie de Jong with a, a late winner from a, from a nice move. Ferran Torres with the assist there on his first La Liga start um, back in La Liga, sorry, with, with Barca. Um, Alaves probably deserved a draw. They didn't do enough to win either. But um, yeah, that's four games for Mendilibar now, two draws and then two defeats. They're still in the bottom three and it's looking tough for them, isn't it? I don't know. I'm weirdly optimistic about Alaves because I think Mendilibar has had an impact and he is making things a bit tighter defensively for Alaves. And yeah, okay, four games, two draws, two defeats, but they have played athletic Real Sociedad, Atletico, um, sorry, Real Betis and, and Barcelona. And so, I mean, those are four very difficult teams to play against. And True. the only team we've beaten them comfortably are Betis. I mean, Barcelona were minutes away from a draw, a draw against Real Sociedad, a draw against Athletic Club. They're not bad results in isolation. I think the, the concern is obviously the time is running out. Mendeleev has been pretty quick to bring in the players he wants and they seem to be starting to gel together and I think they just desperately need an easier run of fixtures than they've had of late to kind of be able to actually express themselves and kind of show what they can do a bit more than against these sides where they're only ever really going to be kind of fighting for their lives and and trying to hang on to to get a result. But I mean, that will come. I mean, they've got Elche up next and and that will be a much easier game for them. And 
if they can get away with a, a win away at Elche, that would be a big turning point because, again, then after that, they've got Valencia, Real Madrid. I mean, the fixture list is really not kind to Alaves. True. I'm going to put you on the spot here, though. You're optimistic, but which team are they going to drag down then? Because they're currently 19th. They're three points off safety. Is it Mallorca? You've said Hitafi are improving, Elche are improving. Which side is going to get dragged down there? I think Mallorca gets dragged into it. The question will be whether it's Mendelibar or Sergio who improve their teams the most. I think Alaves potentially have more potential, but I wonder if it's it's too little too late in for them. I mean, Mendelibar's doing a good job, but he needs to start turning those draws into wins. And, and if this run of fixtures, if they don't win at Elche and then suddenly it's six, seven, eight games that they're playing without a win under him, then then it might not be a good thing for confidence. Mm. Yes. Well, the the final game of the weekend that we haven't yet mentioned was at Nuevo Los Carmenes, Granada against Osasuna. Osasuna hadn't scored away from home since October, so of course they won 2-0. Um, and for Granada, after their unbeaten run, they lost to Hitafe and now they've lost at home to Osasuna. They'd scored in every home game, so of course they didn't score here. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about uh, David Garcia's performance in MVP coming up soon. But uh, yeah, anything to say on this game? I think it was a, a worrying performance from Granada in many ways. I mean, they didn't have the same kind of connection, fluidity that they've had in the last few weeks. But at the same time, I think it's it's almost an isolated case coming so soon after that Hetafe defeat and, and obviously not a long time between the games either. So I think they'll just be looking to the international break, put this behind them and, and start again. Yeah, speaking of tough fixtures for for them, they've got Real Madrid away, Real Sociedad away, then Villarreal at home in their next three matches. So yeah, they potentially they could also get dragged down a little bit more. Um, we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. Easter Hetafe and Osasuna don't look too bad, but follow that up with those three games, and suddenly yeah, <laughs> you start to sweat. Yeah, it could be an interesting month of February for those teams. Well, that's the fix. That's the results all wrapped. Um, another fascinating weekend of La Liga action. It's now time for MVP. Um, I'll let you kick off, Sam, because you were in the stadium to witness one of these performances. So kick us off with your first pick. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with Yannick Carrasco because I think Atletico and their turnaround is worthy of a, of a nomination. For me, what changed the game was, was Diego Simeone, the three substitutions he made. But the real difference was that the best player that Atletico had in that first half was Yannick Carrasco. And the best player, even after those changes, was Yannick Carrasco because he was so liberated down the left flank and supported by Mario Amoso in the wing-back role. He had a lot more freedom. He really got at Valencia and was kind of attacking Thierry Correa, who was having a horrible evening. And I think Carrasco, just his his drive, and the, he never gave up. I mean, this was a thing of the Atleti side that a couple of the players in the first half did look frustrated, did look to have their head down a bit. But Carrasco just kept going the whole way through. And I think that was Diego Simeone kind of personified on the pitch was, was Yannick Carrasco in his own way. He's not the tough tackling midfielder like Simeone was as a player, but he's the kind of Duracell bunny on the touchline that is going to be running up and down that flank the whole way through. And and as he came off in, in injury time, you could see he could barely walk, but not through an injury, just through exhaustion. I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah, he put in a massive shift. Um, my first nomination is, as we've just mentioned, David Garcia from Osasuna. Um, 
He's been talked about as a potential signing for Atleti and he's been talked about in some circles as being a potential candidate for the Spain national team. Um, and another performance here of really high quality. 10 clearance, uh, ten duels won, 8 clearances. He scored the goal which set them up for the win. He's scored 4 headers now. He's the top scorer for Osasuna this season. Uh, it's just another commanding performance from him. Uh, leading, by, leading by example. Um, he's just a fantastic all-round centre-back and uh, for Osasuna he is the absolute perfect defender and you can see that Jogob Arasate really relies on him as that leader, as that kind of figure to encourage, to, to just get everyone around him to, to buy into the idea and um, it paid off on Sunday at Granada and uh, they'll be hoping it can continue. So uh, he's my, my first pick. How about your second one? I'm going to go for Edgar Badilla, who obviously the Elche goalkeeper, who was an incredible form. I think it was seven made saves he made in that first half alone against Real Madrid, and they really did throw everything they had at, at Elche. And Edgar Badilla made some fantastic saves, a free kick from Tony Cruz, or an injury time in the first half in particular. I mean, he's had a tough season, obviously starting on the bench behind Kiko Casilla under Fran Escriba, and and since he's come back into the team, he's justified his return and and so much more as well. I think he's been absolutely superb. And this point, there wouldn't be a point without Edgar Bradilla playing the way that he did at the Bernabeu. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of incredible performances, I'm going to have to go for Borca Iglesias. Um, he backed up his brace against Alaves, as you mentioned, with another brace on Friday night back at Espanyol. Uh, those few years ago, they were celebrating with him on the pitch as he uh, as they secured European football. But of course, he left that summer, as you as you said, with Ruby. Um, his first season at Betis was tough; didn't quite get the return he wanted. But but this season now, he's really reaping the rewards, and he's in fine goal scoring form at the moment. Real purple patch for the Panda. Um, and yeah, Betis they're still fighting on on three fronts: they're top three in La Liga, in the Europa League, and of course, still with the Copa. So. It's a really exciting time to be a Betis fan. They're, as we say, Pat's playing the best football in all of Spain. And uh, yeah, Borja firing in the goals. So long may that continue from a Betis point of view. It's now time for our moment of the weekend. And uh, we'll, we, have to, we have to start with um, the Bernabeu again because, uh, of course, Paco Gento, a legend of Spanish football, legend of Real Madrid. Six European Cups, 12 league titles. No one has won more in the history of football. And Real Madrid paid tribute to him at the start of the game. Uh, you were there as well, weren't you? It was a, a very emotional emotional send-off, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was fantastic. And the stadium kind of erupted in chance of gento, gento, with no no sign or indication to do that. But everyone was showing their respects, even about 15 minutes before kickoff when they brought out the the big number 11 shirt to put it on the halfway line. And, and there was a round of standing ovation just as this plastic shirt was being unveiled onto the centre spot so a really touching touching moment yeah. mm. but I have to say that despite that my moment of the week isn't from La Liga it's actually from the Supercopa Femenina because uh, well Barca continued their absolute steamroller form winning 7-0 against Atleti but for me the, the real winner was Virginia Torresilla she returned to the pitch um, after nearly two years without playing after her, her brain tumour and it was just a wonderful sight to see her back on the pitch. At the end of the game, the Barca players held her aloft. It was a really touching scene. Um, so for me, she is my moment of the week, her return to action. How about you, Sam? 
Yeah, there could be no doubt in that one. I think that was a great moment. I'm going to mention two moments quickly, kind of very contrasting. One was was Edemilitao when he scored his injury time equaliser for Real Madrid. Um, he equalised and ran straight to the corner flag, fist pumping, jumping up and down, celebrating, turned around and then saw nobody had followed him. <laughs> Every other Real Madrid player had dashed back to the centre, <laughs> central centre circle and was ready to get started again and try and get a third. But Militao was, was loving the moment and then suddenly realised and sprinted back as fast as he could. And the other moment, I think, for me, there can be no debate, the best moment in La Liga this weekend was Mario Hermoso and that goal for, for Atletico Madrid right at the death. It's, it's the first time this century that Atletico Madrid has scored two goals in injury time to to turn a result around like that. And such a big moment, not just for the result this weekend, the result against Valencia, but what it means for Diego Simeone, the squad. I mean, all the team were on the pitch, hugging and dancing and applauding the fans. And I think it was exactly what Atletico Madrid needed. If they needed that punto de inflexión, that turning point in their season, it was a moment like this. And there was no better way to get it. And no better player than Mario Hermoso, who was at fault for the first Valencia goal. Been really poor lately, but kind of got himself back into the good books with that moment. Yeah, you tweeted that he's not an Atleti player. You couldn't imagine Godin doing that, laying on the floor as, as the opposition go through and score. But uh, he turned it around. He was the match winner. So Mario Mosso sends us out this week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Sam, to Carla and to Alex for their contributions on this pod. We hope you've enjoyed it. We've got a little international break now, but there is Copa del Rey action coming in between now and the next La Liga fixtures. So stay tuned to La Liga Lowdown for that. Keep on our website as well for our latest articles coming out. And uh, yeah, enjoy the break. Enjoy the rest of the action, whatever you watch. Um, thanks again for listening. Adios. Se queda la pelota al Atlético de Madrid. ¿Cuánto queda con Francisco? Cinco minutos. Cinco de los siete que añadieron para el Atlético. Vacuña, Vacuña, Vacuña. Vacuña, gol del Atlético de Madrid. Gol, 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.